0: Hello everybody, really good to be here, really good to be speaking to you. It's weird times, isn't it? Speaking on the camera is, uh, is very strange, and I've got what I like to call isolation beard. Isolation hair. There's no excuse really, because I do it myself, but there we go. If you want to turn in your Bibles, please, to Acts 17. That's where we're going to be today. That's the passage we're going to be looking at, Acts 17, verse 16. Just before we go into the book of Acts, Let me give you a really quick pub quiz. Okay, don't worry if you get it wrong, there's no prizes, you can't actually answer me anyway. But I just want to give you this really quick quiz. One question. So we know Jesus came to die for our sin and rise from the dead and ascend to heaven. We know the gospel story. But here's the question. While Jesus was on earth, who was the focus of his ministry? Who was the focus of the ministry of Jesus while he was on earth? If you think about that, and if you answered that question with the whole world, half a point. Jesus himself said, I have come for the lost sheep of Israel. The mission of Jesus on earth was to preach the kingdom of God to the people of Israel, God's elect people in the Old Testament. And as we know, most of them rejected him. But he chose 12 disciples to mirror the 12 tribes of Israel. And a lot of other people followed him as well. And Jesus called them and he trained them. And it says that after he died and rose again, between his resurrection and his ascension, he taught them about the kingdom of God. And he gave them this commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations. And then he ascended ahead and sent his spirit. And that's exactly what they did. They went into every nation to preach the gospel. And today we find not one of those original 12, but another Jewish follower of Jesus who is now in a Gentile city, another Gentile city, preaching the gospel to Gentiles in a in a way that's very specific for them. So we're with the following, we're with Paul in the city of Athens. And Acts 17 verse 16 says, while Paul was waiting for them, that's his friends, who were still in, in Berea, waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. What is it that Paul was looking at as he walked around the city? Now, in that culture, in that day and age, idols were prevalent in Greek and Roman culture. and An idol was essentially a statue or an image that people would worship. They would burn incense, they would bow down, they would pray to these statues, they would be made of wood and stone, um, and sometimes there'd be images on the wall, pictures on the wall, and they would appease these statues by offering sacrifice to them. They would pray to them for help in the way that we might pray to God. And I think some of us maybe today think that we're a little bit better than those ancient people. There are some religious people today that worship idols, have statues in their worship, even some forms of Christianity. But I think the majority of us in Western culture, and especially in kind of the secular world, will probably think we're a bit beyond them. We suffer from something called, I've heard described as chronological snobbery. We're a bit better than those ancient people. We're not like them. We wouldn't worship statues. But you know what? Every single one of us worships idols. Every single one of our neighbours, every single one of our friends and every single one of us as believers. In our heart of hearts though we love God and we love and worship Him. We all worship idols. Every one of us. Sometimes the idol is our hobby or our sport or our sporting team. It could be our family. It could be our job. It could be money. It could be sex. It could be a number of things that we put before God. which is essentially what idolatry is. It's putting something else before God. Sometimes good things. Most of the things I just listed are good things. Family, children, money, sex, relationships, jobs. They're good things. But when we put them before God, they become idols. And every single one of us has got idols, haven't we? John Calvin said that the human heart is a factory for idols. Each one of us from our mother's womb are an expert in creating them. And it's true. Our neighbours around us, us as believers ourselves, all have idols in our lives that come before God. But the thing with Paul is, as he was walking around the city, we're told he was provoked by the idols. Are we provoked by the idols in our lives? Are we provoked by the things that we worship that come before God? Are we provoked by that in our culture, around us? Paul was. I pray to God that we will be provoked to turn from our idols and worship him. And you know, Paul's provoking his provoked spirit. It didn't lead him to criticising the idols around him, to criticising the people around him. It led him to action. Here's what it says. So, verse 17 says, so, so is, so continues the sentence from from the verse before. So, so, because he saw a city full of idols, he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and devout persons. And in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. See, when Paul was in Athens, he was provoked by the idols and it led him to preach the gospel. Paul knew that the answer to our idols, the answer to false worship, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's interesting because Paul goes to the Jews. He always went first to the Jews. It says in Romans that the gospel is first for the Jews. But the Jews were the religious people of their day. They were the most religious people and there's many religious people around us isn't there? And even us ourselves as Christians we don't might not like the label of religion but people around us see us as religious people and we all need the gospel. people of other faiths who don't worship Jesus and even us as believers we need the gospel. You know what? If there's nobody else on this screen today, nobody else in our buildings when we all meet up together, that are Christian, if there are non-Christian, if there's no non-Christians in that room, if there's no non-Christians on this screen, we still need to preach the gospel. Of course we want non-Christians to be in our churches, to be in our meetings and to hear the gospel. But even if they're not there, we still need to preach the gospel because we need to hear it. We need our idols to be destroyed and pulled down. And it says he spoke to people in the marketplace as well. I was... I was praying about this, and you know what, the people in the marketplace are just the people we meet every day, aren't they? They're the people at the school gates, obviously we can't do all these things at the moment, because we're stuck in, but when we can go back out again, we go to the school gates, where people are dropping their kids off, they're the people who work in shops, they're the people who we go to work with, they're our door neighbours over the fence, they're our family members, the people in the marketplace, the day-by-day people, who are going about their lives, working and shopping and looking after their families. These are the, work, the, the people in the marketplace. And these are the people that Paul reached with the gospel as well as the religious people. He took the gospel to them. And he says he talked to them. And the only answer for these people in the marketplace who all have their idols. The answer for them, as for us, is the gospel. We're called to take the gospel to the people around us. And then it says he also debated with the philosophers, the Epicureans, the Stoics, and these were the intelligent people. Chester's a university city, isn't it? These were the university people, the clever people, the boffins, the students as well. What's interesting, though, and why I actually talk about, spend so much time talking about these groups of people, is how Paul engaged with different groups. We saw last week what Keith said about Berea the city of Berea he went to the Jews there and it says he opened scriptures to them and they searched the scriptures because the Jews knew the scriptures the Jews knew their bible so for them Paul would use the bible to speak to them but the philosophers they didn't know the scripture so he didn't use the scripture we're going to see what he did with them because Luke kind of uh, he kind of pulls in a bit and he, he, he magnifies what Paul does with the philosophers. We don't know how Paul spoke to people in the marketplace to different people... but we can presume from how he spoke with the Jews... and from how he speaks with the philosophers and the clever people... that he would have also used some way that was relevant to the people in the marketplace. See, it says Paul was standing in the midst of the Areopagus. So they invite him to this place called the Areopagus. It's the university, basically... And Paul is in that place where the clever people have invited him. And he speaks to them. What we tend to do when we preach the gospel, I want you to see it as a gift, okay? Imagine somebody gives you a gift. That does not give you a duplex of mean. And with that gift, there are instructions of how to put it together. Okay, this is easy to put together. You just put the top and the bottom and you've got a submarine. That's easy. Maybe you of something more complicated, a, a bookcase from Ikea or, a I don't know, a, a jigsaw or a, a Lego set. And you give them that gift. And when you open it, you've got the gift. It's in pieces. And there's a set of instructions with it. But when you open a set of instructions, they're completely in another language that you don't understand. This is what we tend to do with the gospel. We tend to give... This, this kit called gospel to people as a gift wrapped up, but the instructions that we give them are in a language they just don't get. Now, I'm all for Christian words and Christian language in the church. I believe some of those theological terms have great power and strength to them, and I, I use them. But when we're talking to those outside, we just wrap the gospel up in our language, Give it to them so they open it and maybe they can see that this is a nice submarine. It's a nice gift. I could enjoy that. It's a nice bookshelf. It's a nice jigsaw. But I can't put it together because I don't have any instructions on how to do it. it's just going to sit there unused, unaccepted, unhelpful. But that's not what Paul does when he goes to these philosophers in the Areopagus. He opens up the Gospel in a way that's relevant. In a way they understand, in a way that they get it. He points them to something that is in their culture. He says, Many of you are religious, and I've observed the objects of your worship. If I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, what there you for you worship as unknown, I proclaim to you. So Paul goes to the university, he's speaking to the professors and the students, and he starts off with this altar to the unknown God. These were prevalent in their culture, lots of cities had altars to gods that they didn't know just in case they did something and they didn't know which god they'd angered. And Paul starts with that altar, he doesn't start with the scripture which they didn't know. He starts with the altar to the unknown God. And beginning there, he then explains the gospel to them. When Paul gives them the gift of the gospel that they have to construct, when he gives them the instructions with it, the instructions are in their language so they can open it up and say, That's how you put this together. I've read the instructions and it makes sense. This is the gospel. They can do that because they can understand the point of the message. How they can be saved. I want you to understand, of course, that these gifts that are given to the Jews, to the people in the marketplace, to the Areopagus, to the clever people. The gift inside is exactly the same. They all contain one of these. They all contain a submarine, for example. It's the same gift. All the gifts are exactly the same. The gospel doesn't change. The gospel message isn't different. The central point of the gospel that Jesus lived a sinless life, that he died from our sin, rose from the dead and ascends to heaven and calls us to repent and believe in him for salvation is the same for every single group of people that Paul speaks to. He just gives them a language that they can understand it. Let me give you some examples of this that I've seen recently. One was this, uh, this pastor in, it's something in Europe. I can't remember, I think it was, I think it was Vecherik or somewhere like that, I think it was Iceland anyway. And this guy, had been into heavy metal, he was a Lutheran pastor, and he, he perceived around him that most of the young people and the young adults were into heavy metal music. Now, for some of us as Christians, that's a big no-no, I personally don't mind some of that music. But that's as it is. He perceived that he saw that, that like, I think it was something like 95% of the young people in that culture loved that music. So instead of saying heavy metal music is evil and this is the way you're supposed to give that up and believe in Jesus. He took that music and he created something called Metal Mass. He produced a worship service. They're not singing to Jesus using Iron Maiden, but they, the worship's music style was heavy metal he even took it on tour he called it metal mass and he attracts these young people in and they go to the service and they they're into that music and it helps them to engage and hear the gospel and say that's what it is it makes sense to me because i understand the context the cultural context that's the gospel and he tells the story of a young man that was going to kill himself commit suicide and he came into the meeting And he encountered God there and he met with God and he was changed and he didn't kill himself. Maybe some of us know a bit better, something called Messy Church. The whole point of Messy Church, it was designed so that families with children could hear the gospel through craft and other things that were relevant to them. And gather as a family and hear the gospel, do some crafts and and so it makes sense to them. What about biker church? One of the people that used to come to freedom a lot used to talk about biker church. A way of reaching people with the gospel who are in biker gangs and interested in motorbikes. All of these ways are just cultural methods of expressing the gospel. That's what Paul did. And that's what we can do. Who are the people that God has placed in your life that you can express the gospel to in a relevant way? And the exciting thing about it is that most of us are in those cultures already. We've got friendship groups, we've got family members, we've got work colleagues who we meet daily, weekly, monthly. We don't at the moment because of this lockdown, but we do in our normal lives. And we know what they're into. We know the culture that they have. We know the culture of our workplace. We know the culture of our families. And so often we think we want to push that culture away. We think it's wrong. And we try and get out that culture in order to explain the gospel to it. And I'm saying just You can't embrace all of it there's some stuff we can't accept but see the good things that can be used in your family in your workplace and redeem them for the gospel you have to reject some things because they're just wrong but see what can be redeemed and used to reach your friends your family your colleagues with the gospel so why don't we all think about that just as we continue with this message just think about the people that you could be reaching with the gospel and how God can give you a way of touching those people's lives. Paul is no progressive Christian. He doesn't change the gospel. What he does is he starts with that altar to the unknown God, but then he uses that to begin to explain the true God to them. He says... What I therefore, you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So what Paul says is, this God that you worship as unknown, I'm going to show you who he is. And he says, first of all, he's the creator God. He doesn't live in temples like your idols. He's the God who made everything. He doesn't need you to worship him and burn incense to him and and put him in a temple. He made you. He's the creator. So he takes him from the unknown God to the true God. And he says, this unknown God, this is the true God. He's the true God and he's the creator of everything. He made the world. And then he says he gives life and breath to everything. And he made, verse 26, from one man, every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined the allotted the allotted period that they would live and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Now, this is really interesting for us, isn't it? We're living in a very unprecedented time. And yet Paul says this God who made everything, he's the creator. He's also sovereign. He points them back to the sovereign God. Who made everything. And he put people exactly where they need to be at the time they're in. He put them in the cultures that they're in. So that he could, so that they could seek God. Isn't that interesting? He put them in the cultures they're in and the time that they're living in so they could seek God. We're living during this coronavirus. We're living in this time. And the people who don't know Jesus are living in this time so that they can seek God. Because no one seeks God, but he uh, he changes their hearts by his spirit. But the people out here now living during this coronavirus, and the people that you live with, the people you work with, your family, they are here in this world at this time, so they can hear the gospel in a way that is relevant to them. So they can meet you and hear the gospel from you, so that they can meet other people and hear the gospel from them. The people that lived decades ago lived when they lived because God had ordained they should live then and hear the gospel in their culture. Isn't that amazing? God is something and he is in control and he's in control of every person you will meet. He's in control of every situation that they're in and he will bring them to him. If he ordains it, he will bring every single person to him that he intends to. And he would use the cultures that he's put them in and the people he's put around them, like you, to do that. Isn't that exciting? God's in control. And that's what Paul says to them. This unknown God, he created everything and he's sovereignly in control of every situation. Every single one of us lives and moves and have our being in him, Paul says. And then... He quotes one of their philosophers, one of their poets, again, just to bring down the point. And then he brings them to the gospel. Verse 30 The times of ignorance got overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. He says, You don't know who this God is. He's the unknown God. He's one of your idols. That's what you think, but he isn't. He created everything, he's sovereignly in control. And now he calls every single one of you to repent. To turn from your sin. Because he's fixed a day that he will judge the world. So Paul then comes back to the gospel. And that's what we need to do. As we're looking at the people around us. Thinking how we can reach them. We're ultimately bringing them back. We're not reaching them in a relevant way. To be cool and relevant and look good. We're doing it so that we can bring the true gospel To them, to their hearts and lives, so that they can repent, they can believe in the gospel, they can be baptised, they can be filled with the Spirit, they can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's proved by Jesus rising from the dead. Jesus rising from the dead is proof that he is the one that can save them. And then, as Paul finishes... It says, some mocked. You will be mocked. Stop being scared of your own shadow. Stop being scared of people around you. People will sometimes mock you for the gospel. Trust God. Because he will save. Some mocked. But others believed. Jesus will save. And he will use you as a great privilege to do that. I want to assure you reassure you as we finish. Some of you don't feel gifted as evangelists. I'm not either. In my natural human sense, I don't like evangelism. I know it's important and I want to evangelise because I want people to be saved. But it's not always easy for us. But if we can just find those connecting points. And of course you don't have to know everything about every person you meet. If you meet a person in the street and God says talk to them, talk to them. Don't worry about whether you know what sort of music they're into or whatever. But if we can just work if we can just find the ways of connecting to people, it's so much easier to preach the gospel to them, and God will use it. So some believed and the church was planted. By the way, for those of you in crew who are church planting, this is especially relevant, and others that are called to church planting future or missionary work. What's the culture of crew like? What's the culture of the people around you? There's many cultures in crew, but how do you reach them for the gospel? You think about that. I want to bless you all as we finish anyway. I want you to take this away with you, I realised that I can't tell you exactly how to reach the people around you because I don't know who they are. But as we face going back into the world I want to encourage you that you can do this. You can reach out with the gospel. You can find connecting points in people's life and culture in order for them to hear the gospel. It's not a beat you over the head you have to do this. It's An encouragement, I hope. You can do this. God bless you. I want to pray for you. And then we're going to talk to each other and have some time together, I think. So thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Thank you that the gospel is true and real and powerful and touches people's lives. I pray you will bless each person listening on this camera today, on this video today, on this audio today. And I pray that they will be blessed. And I pray you will give us courage and faith and wisdom on how to reach our people, our world, our culture with the gospel. And I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Bless you all. Thank you for listening. God bless you. Amen.